saving money on everything for your projects. Now at Menards, we have it all for garden and landscaping essentials. Visit our outdoor garden center today and update your backyard space. Grid accents lattice panels have a timeless design with an innovative design that's simple to install and requires almost no maintenance. Save big on lattice panel options at Menards. View our entire selection of garden center products today on Menards.com. Save big money at Menards. Are you normally the one in the relationship who wants to have sex all the time? Or are you on the other end of the spectrum and feel like your level of desire is typically lower than your partner's? Either way, I've enlisted the help of Drs. Fogel, Mercy, and Vinsel to tell us all about sexual desire discrepancy in relationships and give us a few tips on how to manage it in our sexual relationships. They'll also update us on their new book on this topic called Desire, out August 22nd. Welcome back to Savvy Psychologist. I'm your host, Dr. Monica Johnson. Every week on this show, I'll help you face life's challenges with evidence-based approaches, a sympathetic ear, and zero judgment. I am so pleased to have Dr. Fogel Mercy and Dr. Vinsel here today to help us understand the topic of sexual desire discrepancy. Thank you for having us. Happy to be here. Yeah. And so to get us started, can you help us by defining what a sexual desire discrepancy is? Oftentimes when we're talking about sexual desire discrepancies, we're talking about a differing level of interest in how often partners want to be sexual with one another. That also could be expanded, however, to be thinking about differences in the types of sexual activities that partners want to be having with one another. And if you find yourself in a partnership where you may have a lower desire, you know, or want to do fewer types of sexual activities, what would you say that partner should do in those circumstances? Communication is always key. Absolutely kind of foundational here. We find that a lot of folks don't know how to start these conversations. We've not really been taught how to have healthy or open conversations about sexuality in our culture, unfortunately. And so learning how to have these conversations in an open way, in a non-judgmental way with your partner or partners becomes really important. So you can start to talk about where the differences lie and find some points of negotiation and points of connection. Are there any common tactics that you would tell a person to use in these situations in order to like approach those conversations? Because I'm assuming it might, they might have some shame or anxiety about approaching those conversations. Definitely. So sometimes it's really helpful to start writing this down, certainly if you're working with a therapist, talking with your therapist, but not everyone has access to that. So writing down some of these things that you want to be talking with your partner or partners about um, so that you can kind of get a sense of what you want to say, what you want to communicate before you're kind of confronted with what could be a really stressful conversation. Do you find that these sorts of issues are common for people? Is sexual desire discrepancy something that comes up like normally? Because I, I find in my individual sessions that it does come up quite often. But when I talk to people about it, they're like, oh my God, sex is a thing. Like it's a thing that <laughs> also affects my mental health and my like relationships. They're very surprised <laughs> by this. And I think part of it has to do with our culture. So I think maybe getting into a little bit of like how common, how normal are these types of issues? 
This is the number one thing that we see as sex therapists um, is desire discrepancy or desire concerns. Um, we don't have good prevalence rates on this from research, but anecdotally and within the field, we know that this is more common than not. And it's it's really to be expected among partners when you have two or more people who have some differences in multiple areas. This just becomes one area where there can be difference and that difference might be uh, more perpetual or it might be occasional and every partnership is going to be a little bit different. But, you know, it's, it's really common and it affects most partnerships, at least some of the time. One of the things that I notice in doing individual therapy with folks is that whether you're the person with the higher libido or the lower libido, there's usually like frustration, um, tension, all of those sorts of things, but they're just looking at it from different angles. Are there certain things that you suggest depending on like kind of which side of this spectrum people end up on? Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, one of the first places to start, as as Jen was saying, is, you know, conversations about this, being able to talk about this, but also, you know, being able to see things from your partner's perspective and have um, sort of a holistic view of what's happening. There's often a cycle or pattern that can come up where one person tends to be the initiator, one person tends to, you know, turn away from that initiation. And that's not to say that you can't, you know, say no when you need to say no, but even just how is that initiation? How is that, you know, being proposed? How is that being, you know, responded to? We can be, you know, more mindful and thoughtful about how do we bring this up and how do we let our partners know either what our interest is, or if we're not in a space for being sexual, you know, how do we respond to that? Um, even if it is a no. So just being, you know, more conscious about that, more tender about that, because initiating sex can be really vulnerable. Saying no to a partner's initiation can be vulnerable. And so I think there's just, there's some things that we can do there to just be, you know, more tender with the subject matter at hand. I often think about these as micro moments, right? So there are larger patterns and cycles within partnerships, but there are these micro moments that can really derail a sexual experience, whether or not libido differences are present in a relationship. So kind of what Lauren was saying about initiation, I will often meet with clients, meet with patients who say, I have sexual interest. I want, I have this desire. I want to be sexual with my partner, but the way that they initiate is such a turnoff. And so I might be initially interested, but then when things get started, it doesn't go the way that I would prefer it to go. And so it totally shuts me down. That's not necessarily a libido difference, but there are some behavioral things, some things that we need to communicate about preferences and what feels best to us, right? Those are micro moments that often get missed in partnerships. One of the things we're talking about here is, you know, saying no if you need to say no, but there's also the other side of like accepting a no if you need to accept one. And what's coming up for me is like just this idea of rejection and how that can play a part. Can you speak a little bit about that and maybe how people can go about managing that? Yeah, I think, you know, um, one of the things that we talk about in a book that we wrote about desire discrepancies that's coming out soon is this idea of broadening the definition of sex so that it's not so all or none. 
And so we might be a no to a particular activity or a particular type of experience, but we may not be a no to all type of connection or physical touch. So it's really important when partners are initiating intimacy to broaden and get clear on what is it that we're initiating. And I might be a no for sex in the moment, but I may not be a no to all types of physical touch or connection, or I might want to, you know, let my partner know that I'm a no in this moment, but let's make some time for that because I find it important because you matter to me because I'd like to be able to have presence of mind when I'm with you. And with the rejection piece, it's, I think there's again, that tenderness and sort of being able to hear a no, we have to allow partners to have space to say no so that we can, you know, have some trust and safety between, you know, everyone involved. But there is a delicate way. And and sometimes it's communicating, hey, you know, that felt harsh and my feelings got hurt. And, you know, is there a way that we can talk about this a little bit differently? Because if that's, you know, really harshly turned down versus gently turned down, that's going to make a difference. And just, you know, also being clear that maybe if you're the one initiating, maybe you're saying, hey, it's okay if you don't want to be sexual right now. Is there something else that we might be able to do to connect? And maybe being the one to propose an alternative. Something that we include in the book are actually scripts for kind of both sides of this dynamic, right? So how do you say no and decline a sexual initiation in a healthy, not harsh, not judgmental way, not kind of name calling your partner, um, dynamics that we often see come up in our office. But then how do you also accept no in a gentle way as well, right? And so we kind of provide some scripts and some ideas for partners on both sides of that that equation. There's a couple things here and I'm starting to geek out and get excited. But one of those things is that you you all are talking about is like expanding the like definition of sex. And so can you say more about a kind of what what is kind of the current working definition it appears we have around sex and kind of what is a broader, healthier like definition of sex? A concept that we introduce in Desire, our book, um, is the sexual staircase. And everyone actually is familiar with the sexual staircase if you've been raised in this culture, because it's kind of the air we breathe in this culture. There's very much a focus on heteronormative, cisnormative, penile vaginal intercourse, and typically orgasms for a person with a penis through that intercourse, right? That doesn't work for a lot of folks. Um, There's a lot of reasons why that might not be the best approach or not necessarily somebody's preferred type of sexual activity. Um, And so we talk a lot in the book about starting to break free from the sexual staircase and thinking more flexibly and more openly about what are all the different types of sex that you might enjoy, right? The problem with staircase thinking, right, kind of adhering to that traditional script that doesn't work so well for so many people is that it really equates sex with intercourse. And so when most people say sex, what they actually mean is penile vaginal intercourse, um, something that Lauren and I will be very explicit about when we talk about those types of sexual activities. We will say, Do you mean penetration or do you mean oral stimulation or do you mean manual stimulation? Starting to break down these sexual activities and being really explicit about saying what we mean instead of just lumping everything into, well, sex equals intercourse and everything else is kind of an afterthought or a forethought. um, That doesn't work very well for the majority of people. Yeah. And it sounds like going back to your initial points about communication and the message that I'm getting from you all is that one, there's more to communicate about other than just the act 
of what you want to perform, right? <laughs> you know, or what you want to have happen to you. But there's other factors that are in play in terms of when would I like to have these conversations and what are the times when I can be more receptive to certain things? And I mean, it, you can start to see how like the, the sex conversation is very broad and open and maybe starts to like connect to other aspects of the relationship as well. Am I wrong in that like thinking? No, that's exactly right. I think that, you know, it's it's not just what we do, it's how we do that. It's how we decide what we're going to do. It's how we navigate what pleasure looks like today, which can vary day by day. Um, and also can be really different from that sort of staircase or traditional sexual script that we've all sort of been handed down. And so even just letting people know, and this is part of our work as sex therapists, is letting people know that it's okay, if not encouraged, to deviate from that standard script because that script is often part of where people get stuck. And my assumption here is that like we can take that script and edit it or throw it out and begin an entirely new script. That's right. Yeah, that's right. And I'm a big fan of having several so, you know, the kind of sex that you have like on a Tuesday after work is or or intimacy, you know, is maybe different than something on a non-work day, is maybe different than on a vacation. It's going to be different across different seasons of, you know, stage of life, stage of a relationship. So just allowing there to be built in this expectation that it's going to have some variety and it's going to shift across time. We know very well in the world of sexual health that partners that get stuck in the same script over and over again and can't be flexible and can't adapt, those are the ones that really struggle long term. It's the couples that can be thinking outside of the sexual staircase and be thinking more flexibly and trying different things and exploring non-judgmentally um, and supportively. Those couples do very well long term with sexual health. One message that I'm getting is just one of hope, because when I work with a lot of couples and taking in what you said about like getting stuck in that script, it's very hopeful to think that like, oh, the reason why I'm stuck is because I'm trying to do what everybody else was doing, <laughs> you know, instead of coming in and, and asking myself, being mindfully aware of myself, my own sexuality, and what brings pleasure for me, and then going and communicating that to my partner having them do the same thing back and we sit down together and like create this like working script, you know, and several of them and, and understanding that it's never like done. We are always constantly like editing it. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly right. And that when we ask so many folks, what kind of an experience would you like? What would bring you pleasure? It's really common for us to hear someone say they're not sure or they don't know, because they may not have ever uh, been given the space to really sit down at the drawing table and map that out for themselves. So they're either following the social sort of standardized script, or they're following a script that works well for a partner. But that doesn't necessarily mean that that is what they find most pleasurable or the script that they would prefer, um, just to sort of normalize that if you're not sure 
what would bring you pleasure? What would a script that's more preferable be like for you? This is, you know, part of the journey is giving yourself some room to think about that, to look at some different options, to try some different things and to practice. And so I want to get into the book because I was lucky enough to read like an advanced copy of and I enjoyed it and felt like it was really there to be as a guide and to be a, a usable book, which is not always the case. <laughs> like when you're reading books, sometimes it's just there to like make you think, but you know, this is making you think and it's actually like I can use or apply this. So can you talk more about your book? What were your hopes in writing it? And what are some things that people can expect to get from it? So, you know, our hope uh, is really for this to be, first and foremost, a starting off point for conversations between partners to, you know, start dialogue. Um, but it's also something that can bring some just awareness for uh, readers as individuals. It goes through, you know, so many of the various um, factors that can impact libido, things like stress, things like trauma, pregnancy, you know, medical conditions. There's relational variables that can, you know, contribute to how you feel towards sex and intimacy. And then as we're talking about, you know, social scripts, there's some of the general sort of cultural messages and narratives that we've internalized and been exposed to. So it sort of walks us through all of those different, um, you know, pieces that can be part of the picture of your desire, your history of desire. We also are very aware that access to sex therapists is limited for folks. There's many people who either can't afford it, don't have somebody local, uh, don't have the ability to take time off of work to go and see someone. And so we really wanted to make this something that was an accessible, like you said, a tool that has some uh, exercises and journal prompts that can be implemented. So like you said, it's not just you know, kind of something thought provoking, but also takes it a step further with some ideas of where to go next with the material. And so we're hoping that it can be, you know, maybe not a full on substitute to sex therapy for folks who might benefit from that or need that, but a nice sort of bridge. And for some folks, it may just be all that they need is reading this and trying a few of the exercises. And then at the end, we talk about, you know, for folks who might benefit from a little bit more support where they should consider turning to what that might look like. When we talk about desire discrepancy, we're normally talking about it in the context of like a person and the other. If someone is not currently in a relationship or not, you know, currently sexually active, would this also be a helpful guide for them? I absolutely think so. I mean, we certainly talk about relational dynamics in this book, no doubt about that. And, you know, I know that I see single folks in my office all the time. I suspect Lauren does as well, who in some ways they're kind of preventing themselves from getting out there and dating and sort of uncertain or fearful about that because they worry that their desire might be too high or too low. And so that fear, that anxiety is actually preventing them from moving forward with potential relationships. And so because of the information in this book and thinking about all of the multifactorial aspects of desire, I think that there's a really nice educational piece there too, whether you're single or partnered. Yeah, I felt the same way. I just wanted to hear you say it. <laughs> <laughs> 
So I really want to thank you both for your time here and for sharing your expertise with my audience. Is there anything that you would like to say about the book, about the importance of sexual health, like as we close it out today? I would add, I mean, a final really important goal for us with writing this book was to make sure we had something inclusive for everybody. And so we're very upfront that this book is for everybody and everybody, right? Regardless of gender, sexual orientation, age, faith tradition, right? So we really wanted to have an inclusive book about desire and libido differences and partnerships because what is often seen out there around this topic is very specific to certain demographics. And so when we work with all of the incredible diverse folks, clients, and patients that show up in our office, oftentimes we didn't have a resource to give to them if they were struggling with desire. And so we really wanted to have material and a resource here to be able to give to any person that might be having some concerns. Yeah. And I think, you know, the the greatest message here is that most people are having very common normative experiences, but may not know how common and not alone they may be. And so uh, a book like this is just hopefully creating some space to sort of see yourself somewhere reflected within it and to have some, you know, both normalizing of experience and then some support of some places to go when you're feeling stuck. I want to say that I, you know, in reading through the book, I saw all of those elements there coming from my own like background of intersectionality and representing a lot of different groups. I very much appreciated seeing the content that was there and being, you know, doing sex therapy myself. I know the lack of like (laughs) comprehensive information that's available. So thank you so much for your time and for telling us about this book and for adding a much needed resource to the world. Thank you. Thank you so much. If you want to learn more about this topic, be sure to pick up their book, Desire, out August 22nd at any of the normal places you buy books. I've read it and I've really enjoyed it. Do you have a question you want answered on the show? Let me know on Instagram at KindMindPsych. You can also reach out to me via my email at psychologist at quickanddirtytips.com or leave a voicemail at 929-256-2191. The Savvy Psychologist is a Quick and Dirty Tips podcast. It's audio engineered by Steve Rickyberg with script editing by Adam Cecil. Our podcast and advertising operations specialist is Morgan Christensen. Our digital operations specialist is Holly Hutchings. And our marketing and publicity associate is Davina Tomlin. The opinions mentioned in this interview are those solely of Drs. Fogel Mercy and Vinsel and does not reflect the opinions of any of their affiliated entities. Follow Savvy Psychologist on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. That's all for this episode of Savvy Psychologist. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next week. Are you tired of the constant battle with anxiety and panic? I've got a podcast that I think you'll love. It's called The Anxiety Coaches Podcast, where the host, Gina, gives you your weekly dose of tranquility and inspiration. Two new episodes drop weekly, packed with practical tips and lifestyle changes to help you calm that racing heart and bring peace back into your life. So if you're ready to bid farewell to sleepless nights and constant worry, tune into 
the Anxiety Coaches Podcast, and embark on a journey towards lasting calmness and a life free from anxiety's grip. Remember, it's not just a podcast, it's a lifeline. Join Gina on the Anxiety Coaches Podcast and let her soothing words be the balm your nervous system needs. Listen in and start your path to healing today. The anxietycoachespodcast.com because healing begins the first time you listen.